Oh, welcome in the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. Man, we're still scorching hot from all that back and forth between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Got an update on that. If you missed it on the last episode, Cousin Shane and I, we had an emergency podcast, so... Uh, The timeline might be a little screwed up for your podcast listeners. If you're just checking in the morning, we threw up an emergency podcast there on Thursday. But we have got another great show to wrap up the weekend. We got my buddy Austin Burledge, longtime Tennessee fan who's getting into the media. He's been in the media a couple years. Now he's branching out to be more SEC-wide. So I want to support him on his journey. So I think you guys are going to like it. We got uh, Greg Sankey releasing a statement here from Jimbo and Nick Saban. Week one SEC spreads and a little uh, farewell to a Gator legend down there. So let's get right into the action here. We got to start with, hey, I was calling for it on the last episode if you missed it. Greg Sankey, where you at in all this madness? Well, he has dropped the hammer on A&M in Alabama. He's reprimanded. Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Now, what's that mean? Means nothing. <laughs> of course, those guys were going to get in trouble. I mean, two of the highest paid college coaches in the country. That I believe they're they're probably one and one A one one B right now uh, in terms of compensation. So, I mean, SEC was not going to do anything here for just this war of words. But here's the statement released by Greg Sankey and the SEC on Thursday. The membership of the Southeastern Conference has established expectations for conduct and sportsmanship that were not met last night nor today. And he's talking when Nick Saban met Wednesday night and Jimbo Fisher here on Thursday as I record this. A hallmark of the SEC is intense competition with an environment of collaboration. Public criticism of any kind does not resolve issues and creates a distraction from seeking solutions for the issues facing college athletics today. There is tremendous frustration concerning the absence of consistent rules from state to state related to name, image, and likeness. We need to work together to find solutions that will that will be our focus at the upcoming SEC spring meetings. And again, that is about eight, nine, ten days away. I don't have the time yet. I've uh, yet to receive my invite to that event. Apparently, you got to be it's invitation only. They don't uh, let anybody and anybody go to the SEC spring meetings. And old that SEC podcast, we ain't made the cut yet, but uh, hey, we will one day. We will one day. It certainly seems like this is the year to go down to it. But again, this is uh, you know not even a slap on the wrist, just a uh, public reprimand. I mean, what's that going to really do? <laughs> it's going to do nothing. That's what it's going to do. So it's nice that they put this statement out. I'm sure stern emails or phone calls were made. Out of uh, Birmingham, the SEC offices there, but and why do I say that? Because Nick Saban, he has responded, not specifically to uh, Jimbo Fisher, but this came after Jimbo Fisher's heated press conference. Nick Saban jumped on Sirius XM Radio on Thursday and issued somewhat of an apology. He's not totally backing away what he said, but especially when it comes to the NIL. But he says he should not have singled out anybody. He's talking about Texas A&M. He's talking about Jackson State, Jimbo, Dion. 
You know, he didn't name those co coaches specifically, but those are the two that took issue. So let's kick it over. These comments from Nick Saban on this Thursday appearance on Sirius XM Radio. I should have never really singled anybody out. You know, that was a mistake, and I really apologize for that part of it. But I'm not against name, image, and likeness. I think it's a great thing for players. Um, you know, our players made a lot of money last year in name, image, and likeness. But, you know, I told our players to, you know, get an agent, get representation, you know, make what you can make. Players have always been able to work, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think, you know, the issue in college athletics in general now is, you know, the whole system of collectives and people raising money to – you know, basically play, pay players uh, to come, whether it's to come to their school or, you know, pay the players that are on their team. Um, you know, we've always strived in college athletics to make everything equal, make everything the same, whether it's scholarships, whether it's Alston money, whether it's, um, you know, uh, cost of attendance, academic support, whatever it is. And, you know, now um, it's not really that way. And this has happened in basketball. It's happened in football. So, you know, I, I really didn't mean to single anybody out. Uh, I apologize for that. But, um, you know, it's the whole system. And is, is this a sustainable system? And is it really, you know, good for college football? I think name, image, and likeness is good for college football. Um, I just think, you know, our, you know, hell, you played for me, Jacob. You, you know, I think my role, our role, yeah is to have a program that creates value for guys' future. So they focus on getting an education, becoming better people, uh, being a good person, learning habits that are going to help be successful, and see if they can develop a career as a football player. And, um, you know, I think the focus now is getting a little bit more on how much money I can make while I'm playing and where can I make it. And I'm not sure that's, that's really good um, systematically for any of us. So interesting comments there. Not uh, again, not totally backing off his original comments when it comes to NIL, but I think even he admits, uh, you know, you can't be calling out your peer in the league, especially when you finish second in recruiting and <laughs> you're still bitching and complaining. But hey, Alabama's used to being number one. They didn't win the title last year. They lost to A and M. We got to fix something, and uh, you know that that's at the heart of the issue. Nick Saban. As long as he's in that seat in Tuscaloosa, he's going to be the most competitive son of a gun out there. And uh, I think that this is what we're seeing. This is a offseason, a little bit of frustration. Alabama still, I mean, right now it's early. Read nothing into the recruiting rankings in uh, May, but Alabama ain't tearing it up there either. So, I don't know. I think this is him trying to get ahead of it and seeing what's out there. But uh, hmm. it's interesting. Interesting that he, he kind of half apologized and half didn't. Now, before we get to our interview here with Austin Burledge, real quick, week one SEC lines. Guys are probably tired of me going over these, but we, we got them all now, courtesy of uh, sportsbetting.ag. Every single matchup, I believe, here has a line. So let's go through these one by one. Vanderbilt on the road at Hawaii. This is actually going to be a week zero game. And the Commodores favored on the road. Woo. It's been a long time since we've been able to say that, but the Commodores favored by three and a half at Hawaii. So Clark Lee and company looking to avoid an opening season loss like they had last season to ETSU. This will be a great way to start year two under Clark Lee. Ball State 
at Tennessee. Tennessee, of course, favored. This is a Thursday game. The Vols favored by 28 points, four touchdowns. I don't know if that's going to be enough against old Ball U State, whatever they are. Uh, Tennessee, this is going to be a pick-your-score type ball game, nationally televised audience. Tennessee favored by 28. And then the other Thursday night, week one game, we got Louisiana Tech on the road at the Missouri Tigers. Eli Drinkwitz and company favored by 17 points over a, you know, a dangerous Louisiana Tech. They they took Mississippi State to the wire last season, I do recall. And, uh, you know, they've been playing SEC teams for, for as long as I can recall. And, Typically put up a good fight. So, Missouri, you're favored by 17 right out the gate. How about this? Troy going on the road to Ole Miss in the opener. The Rebels favored by 21 and a half points. And this one still, anytime I throw it out there, people that hate the Gators, they're jumping on it. Utah at Florida. Gators favored by a point and a half. So, very, very close to a pick em. But they're getting the home field respect there in Gainesville. Love to see that. This may be the game of the of the week, opening weekend of the season. Utah at Florida. Once again, Florida favored by one and a half. Miami of Ohio on the road at Kentucky. Kentucky favored by 20 points there in Kroger Field. So, looks like uh, that should be another one of those pick-your-score type games for the Wildcats. Looking for a big win right out the gate. Georgia State. Now, this is interesting. At South Carolina, Gamecocks favored by 11. And you may say, well, what the hell? Why, why is that interesting? Well, remember, Georgia State nearly knocked off Auburn last season. Hell, they did knock off Tennessee a couple years ago. They're under Jeremy Pruitt. So this is not a team to be messed with. Sean Elliott, former South Carolina interim head coach, of course, now down there at Georgia State. So he knows the SEC returning to Columbia. Saw him recently on the Spurs Up show. So, hey, I haven't checked that out yet, but go go check it out. Oregon at Georgia. We've covered this one already. Georgia, 16-and-a-half-point favorite in Atlanta. Utah State at Alabama. Oh, you think Nick Saban's pissed off now? Just wait till you see what he does to Utah State because the Crimson Tide favored by 34 points. That, that ain't going to be enough for old Utah State. Memphis at Mississippi State. Bulldogs favored by 13-and-a-half in what should be a really nice revenge game here for Mike Leach, from Mike Leach and company. And then Cincinnati at Arkansas. Razorbacks favored by 7.5 in the home opener there in Fayetteville. And, of course, uh, Sunday we got the game LSU-Florida State. That line's been out. LSU favored by 3.5 over the Florida State Seminole. So tons of lines out there getting closer to SEC football uh, we are actually less than 100 days from that Vanderbilt-Hawaii kickoff, a little over 100 days for uh, the first Saturday in the SEC this fall. But, hey, that's all I got uh, before we get to our interview here with Austin Burlidge. Go check out his website, abonfb.com. Austin, really great guy, really trying to build something, trying to carve a space in this medium he's got unique insight he's got connections in the coaching world so you know this is going to be a guy to watch here let's kick it over to my buddy austin burlidge pleased to once again he's been on the show before austin burlidge joining the show everyone probably knows him formerly as power t-tape now he just goes by austin two underscores burlidge 
Austin, thank you so much for joining me. Talk some SEC football. How you doing, buddy? Mike, I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's been fun, huh? Just a little transparency for the audience. So I, I reached out to Austin earlier in the week. You know, I love having great guests on the line. It gets us through the off season, but then they drop his dang bomb on us with Nick Saban <laughs> and Jimbo Fisher going back and forth. Uh, he said, she said. So I got. I have to lead with that, Austin. What is your thoughts on? Uh, Nick Saban, a man, he's crying for parody, and then he's crying that they got number two recruiting class. Jimbo out here's, man, I've never in my life, Austin, I've been covering the SEC not as not as long as some people, but I cannot recall a coach coming out the way Jimbo did here on Thursday. So, what's your thoughts on all of it? Yeah, especially uh, for a guy he used to work for, and a guy uh, up until now, it seemed like they had a pretty good relationship. Um, I do think that Saban. I don't want to come across like I think he's totally in the right here because I have some issues with with what he's what the the totality of what he said. But I, I think he has a point about um, how nil is supposed to work and how it's it's working. And I think you know some of the accusations that have been out there about a And M and you know how. Um, Jimbo didn't necessarily this like class that he signed most recently had more five stars in this one class than he's had his entire time at a and M. So I think there's something to um, Saban's complaint that, that maybe they're using um, NIL as a vehicle of more pay for play and, and what that might entail. But I think him coming a, across like Alabama is this clean program that's doing it the right way. And, you know, I think that's what, and, and all on that subject too, but like, you know, calling out, um, he didn't call out Deion Sanders directly, but he, he did bring up Jackson state and, uh, and he brought up Miami basketball. I, I felt bad for them, like catching a couple strays, like <laughs> from them. It's like you're Alabama. You don't need to call out Jackson state. But so I, I do think that that's, and I mean, I think that's something too, that, um, that other people in college football recognize, you know, when you SEC commissioner Sankey went to Washington to talk to some uh, politicians about what they can do to legislate NIL. So I think, I think there's something to be said for how it's supposed to work versus how some programs are using it. But yeah, I, I didn't like how, uh, how he came across like, well, we're doing everything right. And they're not. Yeah. So you just made me think of something Austin. Awesome. Imagine if Jackson state went on the road to play to Alabama this season I mean, the point spread's got to be like 80, 90 points. And, and here we got Saban <laughs> yeah. saying, well, my God, they got one player. We one got, guy. We got to right? put you it know? into this, you know? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. So I, and I couldn't believe, like, and, and Dion, like, tweeted out that his, his son who plays for him, like, woke him up last night. It's like, imagine you're Dion, you're just sleeping, and all of a sudden it's like, Nick Saban's saying you're cheating. It's like, what? So, I, yeah, I, I didn't really understand uh I didn't really understand that, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think there might be a point in there and, and, you know, as well, like I'm a big Tennessee guy and that's kind of where I've, uh, kind of got started in covering college sports. So like, and, and Tennessee's NIL collective has been out there in the news. So <laughs> I think there's something to be said for like how it's used versus how it, uh, how it's supposed to work, but I don't know if we're ever going to really get uh, a solution on that either. Yeah, no doubt. And that leads to, you know, you want to talk Tennessee, Alabama. That's um, not specifically that rivalry, but, you know, that game will, will likely live on, 
in an annual basis. They've, they've yet to de- decide that, but the SEC will be deciding pretty soon how the, the future scheduling is going to go, and the NCAA, we're moving on from divisions. So we can, we can go to this pod format everyone's talking about. Yeah. And that is something that you hit on on your new newsletter. Why don't you tell us about it, abonfb.com. You talked about uh, SEC moving away from divisions. I really wanted to to get your thoughts on this and and plug what you what you're doing there. Yeah, man. That's uh, thank you for that. By the way, that's my my new venture. It's uh, abonfb.com. Um, try, just trying to be a little bit more broad. Like I said, I, I started with uh, Tennessee. I'm trying to to branch out, and it's it's meant to be a place where um, get on, you know once the season gets going and then into the off season. Uh, next year, we, we talk about more scheme-oriented stuff, so uh, kind of a niche nerd football area. You know, I, I want to avoid a, a lot of hot take type of things um, and, and really just get into the nitty-gritty of, of what's on the field. But, um, you know, for now, I'm trying to put out stuff once a week, and that was the topic uh, this past week that really caught my eye. Was It was planned a couple days ago, but then uh, yesterday, I believe, was the day that all the news broke that the NCAA was going to make these changes official. So they're, they've gotten rid of the requirements for, for hosting a, a championship game, which was uh, that you had to split into divisions to determine who would face each other in your conference championship. You had more than 12 teams in your conference. So without divisions, it's like, well, what's, you know, what's the point uh, of having them? Um, because if you get rid of them, you can, there's so many more benefits that you can get from a, a game inventory perspective uh, and, and from a, a conference championship game perspective, because now you don't, you're not stuck with, uh, you know, maybe one team that had that ran through their conference, like in Alabama, for example, in the SEC, and uh, you know has this great record, and then another team. I mean, obviously, it's a bad example now because Georgia is who they are, but uh, who maybe didn't have as good of a record. Now you can just pick the two best teams in the conference. So um, it looks like pretty much every power five conference or even all conferences really are going to waive this whole division thing and, and reorganize into, I'm calling it pods. I don't know. Is that the one that you're going to go with too, Mike? I've heard some different, different people call it different things. Yeah. And I don't, I don't get these people that don't want to say pods. I mean, everybody knows what you're talking about when we say pods. So let's just roll with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So it's, that's that model of you'd have some permanent opponents and then you would rotate through uh, the rest of the conference. I think some people are trying to differentiate like pods are like, you, you wouldn't be necessarily ranked within your pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where they're trying to make the di- distinction, but for, for all intents and purposes, you're with a pod of, of a couple other teams. Uh, and yeah, I think that's going to be really, really cool for the sec because uh, you know, like I said, and, and this is a little bit sour grapes cause I'm a Tennessee fan, but you know, we got to play Alabama and Florida and Georgia every year. And it, it's like, you know, Georgia, I tweeted out yesterday, has played in Tuscaloosa uh, five times over the last 37 years. And it's just like, man, it'd, it'd be nice to have a little bit more balance in, in which teams get to play other teams, you know what I mean? But um, I do think one one thing I've heard is, is a potential three permanent opponents, and I just think three is going to be really difficult to balance schedules competitively um, for all the other the other SEC teams, uh, which I kind of hit on in that that newsletter. Yeah, and I think you've uh, said it on Twitter, Austin. You you would love to see Tennessee have Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and South Carolina in their <laughs> pod, right? Yes. Yeah, I, you know, I think those are just our traditional. You know, when you think about Tennessee, those are who you think about. <laughs> no, no, but um, 
but yeah, I mean, it, those teams actually are a little bit, um, I think I throw a little bit of a wrench into it when you think about like a South Carolina, because their main rival is, uh, is probably Clemson. Mm-hmm. If you think about like who they most um, hate, I guess. And uh, they have this, the, the crossover rivalry with A&M, but that's, that's a long, you know, a long way away. So, and I also heard too, and this was, this is a response to me from 24 uh, seven writer, Brandon Marcello, but he, he indicated that, you know, potentially the SEC could move to a nine-game uh, conference schedule uh, as opposed to the current eight-game one. And so for a team like South Carolina, it's like, well, if you're going to have to play, you know, nine SEC teams, why would you keep that rivalry with, with Clemson as well? So I think it's going to have some pretty big ripple effects in terms of uh, some games that we're maybe used to seeing falling off the schedule. And, and going back to that point about Tennessee, you know, like – I, I do think that if they put Tennessee with Georgia, Florida, Alabama, like that would be an overwhelmingly difficult pod. So, um, you know, one of those games is, is probably going to get dropped every year. And, and those are games that fans, maybe not lately, but <laughs> but at least Tennessee fans, but those are games that people look forward to in, in terms of those are the big ones that you circle on the on the schedule. Yeah, and the biggest reason for doing it, I've, I've said this at nauseum, the audience probably tired of me hearing it, but the biggest gripe I have with the SEC is just the scheduling format. So this way we'd be able to get more trips to all across the, the SEC. You know, th- theoretically, you'd get everywhere in a two-year span. You, if you're a fan of Tennessee, you'd be able to go to, to Baton Rouge more often, Oxford, Starkville, all these places that you, you rarely get to go. And I think an, an added bonus that not enough people are thinking about there's going to come a time where Alabama, you know, they're going to catch Georgia, Florida. Let's say Billy Napier gets that thing built up. Yeah. And then they turn around and play LSU and A&M and, and Ole Miss. Like, this is not to say that Alabama's got it easy. I'm not making that case. But it there's not going to be any more cakewalks to, for anybody in the SEC when we go to this uh, this new pod format. I really do think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think, you know, um, like Georgia, Florida play on a neutral site. And that's one thing that's, um, that, that I would complain about as a Tennessee fan all the time is, you know, well, they, they never have to play true road games at them. So then Georgia getting more regular road games at, at other difficult places. Cause they're not, they're probably, I mean, they're never going to change the, uh, the cocktail party. Are we, we're still allowed to call it that right on your oh, show. Oh yeah. Oh, of course. This is completely <laughs> unedited. We just say whatever you want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, they're they're not taking that out of Jacksonville. So I, I'm excited that you know Georgia's going to have to go to LSU and and Florida's going to have to go to Alabama, and there's going to be less uh, you know uh, of a protection there. Plus, uh, obviously, you know, adding Texas and, and Oklahoma into the mix as well. Yeah, it's just going to make the best conference in college football even mightier. But man, we could talk all day about that, Austin. I, I wanted to get your thoughts. I know you said you're trying to branch out a little bit more, but. You've been writing about Tennessee, following them for years. So really wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, the Vols this year, year two under Josh Heupel. What's your confidence level that Tennessee can really take that next step this fall? And, you know, I'm not saying like capture the East. I think that, you know, even even the most diehard Tennessee fans said, would say, you know, that not that it's impossible, but. You know, they, they certainly wouldn't uh, bet their mortgage on it, as we like to say. But yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a real chance that Tennessee could be a 10-win team and, and have a winning record in the SEC. What's your confidence level in something like that? 
Yeah, I would say pretty confident. And if if it's going to be any year, it's got to be this year when you look at the schedule, which I'll, I'll get to in a minute. But I mean, you know, looking over my notes here, I think on the offensive side, Tennessee's bringing back, um, I want to say nine of 11 starters. Somebody can correct me on that if, if they think I'm wrong. But even even some of those like right tackle, uh, like we lost Cade Mays, but Dane Davis is going to jump in there. And, and he's been, he has had some starting experience albeit I think in, in injury um, release, but still he he's played, you know, we have a lot of uh, receiver talent. I was bummed that they missed out on uh, the UCF transfer, uh, Jalen uh, Robinson, mm-hmm. but, um, uh, but they still have some guys that they got Brew McCoy who, so I think they're going to be potent. We know that the hypo offensive, what, what that's going to bring um, SEC stat cat, uh, who's a great follow on Twitter. Uh, he, he tweeted out something about like the, the three of the, top four offenses in the sec last year were uh were this baylor Bryles system this power this i don't whatever you want to call it big power spread um so between old miss arkansas and tennessee run it um they were all in the top four of, of offense so you know tennessee is going to move the ball they're going to score points and uh and yeah when you look at the schedule uh they they traded out uh they bought out of a game with army uh, which was right before Florida, and they got a home game with Akron. So that, that I think, is an underrated move. Uh, and, and I know people were upset about it and whatever, but Army would have been a tough game with the way that they play. Uh, they've been they've won a lot of games the last couple of years. So and, and obviously with the style of how they they cut and, and stuff like that with the um, the triple option. So, but you got Akron, Florida with a, a first year coach, LSU with the first year coach. You get. Really, they they have four away games, and one of them is Vanderbilt, which is you know Neil and West. So, uh, so and then at Pitt, you got to go at Pitt, but they Pitt lost you know Kenny Pickett. They're going to probably lose Jordan Addison. Uh, they lost their offensive coordinator. So I, I mean, the schedule sets up really well for them to um, to take advantage of it. And and I think you know I, I hate to do predictions because it's like you know if if Hinden Hooker gets hurt. <laughs> it doesn't matter like what they're what it could have been because they're going to be you know a different record and people are going to call you out and flaming or what a freezing cold takes or whatever it is but um he gets but, me about uh, yeah uh, he gets me about a dozen times a season trust yeah. me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so I, I hate to do like hard number predictions but i i gotta feel pretty confident that they have uh, a real good shot at exceeding last year for sure uh, and, and like you said, maybe not competing for the East, but I think what Vol fans would really like to see is just those games against Georgia, Florida, and Alabama be closer than they have in years past uh, at the end. I know in, in last year they were certainly closer through a, a few quarters, but um, but definitely want the final score to be a little bit closer. Now you mentioned Hendon Hooker. You know, he should be poised to have a huge season. Now I don't want to put uh, the cart before the horse, but if everything goes right, I mean, I don't think it's out of the question that he is a legit Heisman Trophy contender, uh, but it ain't just him in the SEC East, Austin. We got uh, Will Levis, who all of a sudden flying up his draft boards, apparently. I mean, number one overall yeah. pick, according to uh, one of the CBS analysts. We got Spencer yeah. Rattler at South Carolina, Stetson Bennett. My man just won the national championship. He's got no respect at all. He's the Rodney Dangerfield of the SEC. <laughs> Anthony Richardson, who's got all the talent in the world. Even Vanderbilt's got a couple good quarterbacks, Mike Wright and Ken Seal. So breaking these guys down, is there maybe an order or uh, just your overall thoughts on, on the quarterbacks in the SEC East this fall? Yeah, I think the order is, is interesting because it's like what order, uh, how do you order it? I guess I could, I should say, like, I still think Hooker with another year in the system, 
uh, and based on, you know, his growth and what, what they did last year, uh, I think he could, again, I mean, he led the conference in, in touchdown or the Easton touchdowns. He only had three interceptions, um, almost 70% completion rating, which is uh, also the, the best in the East. Like, I think he's going to be right up there statistically, if not the best uh, in the East. But like you pointed to with Levis, I mean, um, if you're projecting them toward, you know, the NFL, like Levis is probably going to be an early round draft pick and a guy that might have more success in the NFL than, than these other guys. Uh, But I don't think he is necessarily going to um, be as, I think he's going to be good, but statistically speaking, I don't think he's going to be as high, especially with losing out. uh, You lost Wandale Robinson, um, Josh Ali's gone and their, their tight end um, rig is gone too. So he, and, and their running back Rodriguez just got, um, into some legal trouble as well. So, you know, I think it's really shocking. Like you said, I mean, Stetson Bennett, he's got not only is, I I think he is better than people give him credit for from a mobility standpoint and uh, his ability to throw it over the middle of the field, but he's got some serious weapons around, probably a better supporting cast uh, this year than last year, I would argue with the tight ends they have. So, yeah, I mean, between those guys and then Anthony Richardson, like you alluded to with the talent, he looked really good in the spring game. And I know spring games are spring games, but he, he looks like the guy for them. And Spencer Rattler, I think people, because of how things ended at Oklahoma, are maybe overlooking how good he was there for the totality of his career. I mean, he has probably some of the best arm talent of anybody on this list. Um, I mean, it's it's loaded. Now, last thing here before I let you go, Austin, again, check out the website, abonfbe.com. What you got cooking over there? What's your next newsletter topic going to be? Yeah, so uh, I, I just got uh, everything connected. So there's uh, there's different pricing tiers and stuff, so you can check out what I'm offering. I'm trying to do like one piece of content per week. So actually, it's going to be it's going to be this. Uh, I'm going to just I'm going to push push your stuff right back out there to the people <laughs> that are following me that might not be following you. Um, going to make sure that that gets out there and then I'm, I'm also I'm probably going to do a podcast next week first there's just a, a solo show uh, just to kind of showcase what the people can expect from uh, from the sound quality and stuff like that so I got to find a time when my my eight-month daughter isn't uh, running <laughs> crawling around the house and making a bunch of noise but um, but yeah that, that's what I got in the short term all right I cannot thank you enough Austin again Austin Burlidge give him a follow at Austin two underscores Burlidge and don't forget to check out abonfb.com you can find that in the show notes thank you thank you thank you austin mike thank you so much man always a pleasure man all right so just want to say thanks again austin for joining the show and uh, diving in during this busy time with nick saban and jimbo fisher and (laughs) we got thrown that curveball but uh, i'm i'm glad austin was able to come on the show and and kind of talk some sec football so i do appreciate that And uh, one last thing here, I didn't want to go in the week without this little nugget here, but uh, for you Florida fans, a lot of you hit me up, wanted to pay homage to the voice of the Gators, Mick Hubert, retiring after 33 years calling Gators football, basketball, baseball games. This man's called over 2,500 games in his 33-year career. He's called over, uh, he's called 419 football games. And a little over a thousand basketball games. The only announcer in history to call national championship wins for the same school in college football, men's basketball, and baseball. 
And uh, the Florida Gators played him a little tribute video on their social media. So go check that out if you haven't. Mick Hubert, it always sucks. Uh, you know, when you grow up listening to these guys and, and they're just they're there for you every weekend to follow your team. It's going to be a little hole in your heart there if you're a Florida fan. But, uh, hey, at least you got 33 years of a great one there in Mick Hubert. So just want to give him a shout-out. Anytime you last 33 years in this profession, you got my respect. So, uh, hey, I think that's a perfect way to end this one. And we're going to head into the weekend. Hope everybody has a great weekend. We've got uh, – I'm actually going on the road to record a little podcast here on Friday. I think that will come out on Monday. I haven't decided when we're going to put that one out. But it should be a fun one, a uh, little in-studio pod. So be on the lookout for that. And I'm sure we're going to have much more – SEC action leading up to these spring meetings in Destin. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. We'll catch you on the next one.